If you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to join me in the book of James as we continue in this series, uh, the book of James, and we'll be in chapter two tonight, and uh, we'll be looking at uh, the true nature of faith, faith, uh, that famous passage of scripture that says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. So we're going to begin reading tonight uh, in just a moment in uh, verse 14, and then we'll read to the uh, end of the chapter. You know, faith is something that we uh, often uh, understand as something that's a personal belief or maybe it's a creed that we believe in. And we often say something like this, well, faith is something to be tested. Without the testing of faith, we don't have character, we don't have strength. Uh, sometimes uh, we define faith in different ways, but uh, one way to always understand faith is that uh, it, faith is when you obey the Lord and trust the Lord when you don't believe. You know, I can't believe this. We say that I can't believe God's asking me to do this. I can't believe God wants me to go there. And that's an accurate statement. So it's not just a matter of what I feel. It's not what a matter about what I understand. But a lot of times faith is expressed uh, in that which we don't have faith in. We don't believe necessarily that this is the way to go. And we know that, that grace saves us through faith. It's not, it's not our works that save us. And sometimes people get a little confused when they read James. And not often, but uh, sometimes. And they'll think, well, he says right here that you're saved by works. I think in the context of what he's saying, we can understand that uh, for what it is. But we know that faith is uh, also, it's dynamic. It moves us somewhere. And, and it, it calls upon us uh, to do or to go or to serve or whatever. And, uh, but it always is measured by obedience. It's not measured by what you hold in your head. Faith is not understanding. Faith is not what I understand, and I believe that because I understand it. That's not what faith is. That's not what he's talking about right here. And so I want to read this tonight, and we'll read it carefully and break it down in two or three ways and see how the New Testament really speaks to the dynamic of faith and what that really means more than just putting something in my emotion in my heart or in my head. So we begin reading in verse 14. And I guess I should say this about James. The brother of our Lord writes this book. Uh, there are more direct or indirect references to the Lord's teaching in the book of James than any other book. Uh, Paul certainly didn't know the Lord. And Simon Peter reflects a lot of what uh, Jesus did and how he responded to that and how it, it, it came to affect something in his life, in the life of the church. But James, uh, you can almost uh, pick these scriptures out and go right back to something Jesus taught or said. So it kind of reads like a prophetic book. It almost reads like the book of Proverbs in a lot of ways. Look, do this. It's, it's very prescriptive. It's very commanding, if you will. And so he's addressing the fact that some people said, well, I have faith, but it's something else than what Jesus taught. So we begin in verse 14 of James chapter uh, 2. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? And the way he really writes that is, it's of no use. He's building kind of a straw man here. What if somebody comes along and says, I have faith but I don't ever do anything? It doesn't ever, it doesn't ever cause me to do <clears throat> anything. He said, can that faith save him? And the answer he writes, the way he writes it in that language is no, it can't save him. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. 
Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scriptures was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So he's saying if you just have this intellectual faith and you're standing on that and that alone, it's not going to be enough to save you because something happens in salvation that's quite indeed apart from that. We are saved by faith in a moment. And then our faith begins to grow and because it's dynamic and transforming and because our lives are transforming, it begins to do something in the obedience to God and something in the nature of faith, because it's our new nature now, there's something in the nature of faith that begins to move outside of itself to do some other things. So we realize that there's a problem with the readers that James is writing to and it comes in two or three dimensions. So let's look at those first before we see some of these positive aspects of faith. First of all, faith is more than facts and statements of truth. It's more than just a statement of truth. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that, uh, you know, that the world is round. I believe that God created the world. Faith is much more than that. It's inclusive of that. And it speaks to that, but it's much more than that. Notice what he says in verse 14. What use is it, brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can it save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing or in need of food, and you say, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, uh, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. I think in America, it's very easy to get people off your back to say, I have faith. I believe certain things. I have come to believe. I have come to have this feeling. I made this confession on the basis of what I understand, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on the cross for my sins and whatever else. And life and faith seem to stop right there, as in so many people's lives. Well, you know, preacher, I made a confession of faith when I was in vacation Bible school, and I hadn't been to church in 45 years, but I haven't done anything to anybody in 45 years, but I did make that confession. This is exactly what he's talking about. Faith actually does something. It's not just receiving something, it actually does something. The second flaw in it is that uh, it goes beyond uh, just an intellectual statement of truth. Now, it's interesting what he says there about that. Notice what he says in verse 18. But someone may say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works. I'll show you works, my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Now, he takes this old uh, confession that every Jew would make out of, uh, out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We believe in one God. We believe in one sovereign triune God. You, you add any creedal statement to that you want to. I believe in baptism. Uh, I, believe, I believe that the Lord's Supper is symbolic. Uh, I believe the Bible is inerrant. You can, all of these are creedal statements, and they're all true. Everything I just said is absolutely the truth. I believe in all of that, and he says, that's not faith. 
That's not the New Testament faith that gets you somewhere into the slipstream of obedience to God and living in obedience to God to fulfill his purposes in this world. Faith is much more than what I believe and what I understand. That's what he's saying. He said, no, it does something. It actually begins to stretch out to be able to do something in the power of God. And faith actually takes risk. It actually takes a risk. It, it obeys, it risks, it serves. And he gives the great example of Abraham and Rahab the harlot. He said, look, Abraham took a risk. And the reason he was justified by faith is not because he said, I heard from God and I believe that there is a God. But God said, leave, go. And he did. God said in the most dramatic moment, maybe in all of the Old Testament, sacrifice your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and he said, when you sacrifice this son, you will be obeying me. And, and we read in Hebrews that he, was, he believed that as he was in this act of obedience, he believed that God was able to raise Isaac and would raise him from the dead because he trusted the word of God. He trusted in God to obey him when every other indication would be, this is foolish, this is crazy, this is murder. And yet he obeyed the Lord. It, his faith took the risk of obeying the Lord beyond what any of us, but certainly Abraham, could have un ever understood. And then we know Rahab the harlot. She said, I you know, when the spies came in, she actually confessed that God was God. She actually confessed. She'd heard about the great, wonderful acts of God, and she said, I know this is the Lord. I, I know this is the only God. Well, saying that is one thing, but she took the risk of protecting those spies and letting them escape to safety. She did something beyond just, uh, just a creedal acceptance that I know that there is a God and I believe the God of Israel is the true God. She went somewhere else with that. I want to just take a little trip in the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus, just uh, if you'll let me just for a moment. Uh, in one of the great chapters of the faith is in Matthew chapter 7, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 21, Jesus says something like this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't enter the kingdom of heaven because you say, Lord, Lord. You don't, you don't enter the kingdom of heaven because you know that Jesus Christ is the Lord. But he who, what, does the will of my father. Now we're going to come back to that in just a moment because that's very broad, isn't it? What is the will of God? What is the will of the father? Well, whatever that will is for you and me, we better be doing it or we have no faith. But he says something very interesting uh, about this. In the judgment, in the judgment day or the day of judgment, uh, we read in Matthew chapter uh, 25 and verse 31. He said, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, He'll sit on his glorious throne. The nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate them one from the other. The shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Put the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. And then the king will come to say on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And then he says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. You did something. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me and naked and you clothed me sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, well, when did we ever do that, Lord? I don't remember ever doing that to you. I don't remember seeing you in that condition. When did we see you a stranger? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, verse 40, to the extent that you did it to one of the, these brothers of mine, even unto the least of them, 
you did it to me. And then he'll say to the ones on the last left, you didn't. You might have had the right creed. You might have had the big Bible. You might have understood that it was in error, but you never did anything. It was never anything that caused you to accomplish or do anything. And so you just need to depart from me. It's a warning to us tonight. The idea that we are proud that we have understood certain things is certainly not faith. Well, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are created under good works. We're absolutely created under good works. We're saved and created in that salvation so that we might go and accomplish the very works of God that he's prepared beforehand for us to accomplish. That's in the greatest statement of uh, grace and faith that there is. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Yes, even faith is a gift of God. But faith alone is not where it stops. It says, and we are created. We are his workmanship created for good works. I love that. I love that scripture. In Ephesians 2, 8 uh, and 9 where it says, we are his workmanship. In verse 10 where it says, we are his workmanship. That's the word we get the word poem from. A poem is a work. It's something written out. It's a, it's a work of writing. It's, it's something that comes from the imagination of a creator, a poet. And he says, look, God imagines for us these things that we're going to accomplish. God imagines for us these works that we're going to accomplish. And he creates us for those very works. They're, they're listed out. They're written down. They're ready to be done. And faith receives Christ as Lord and Savior by his grace, but then it moves out of ourselves to something quite beyond that. And I think that's important. You know, in 1 John, we also read something very interesting. In 1 John, it says, 1 John 3, 17 says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. Deed and truth. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, listen, faith does something. It goes somewhere. The, the, the surest proof of faith is not what I confess and tell you about. The surest proof of faith is how it affects my life and how I go from just the confession of Jesus as Lord through the transformation of God's grace, and then he begins to use me as hands and feet to accomplish his purposes. Faith without works is not only dead, it's no faith at all. That's what James is trying to say here. And he's warning the church. And we read this and we take heed to this warning. I remember years ago grappling with this idea of poverty just as a younger Christian. Why are there so many poor people in this world? You know, most of the world's poor. And you, we can talk about equality of economics and, you know, the distribution of wealth and all this stuff. That, that's for the politicians to talk about. But let me tell you what, G, what God said in his word. In Deuteronomy, uh, the Lord is trying to establish the culture of Israel, trying to establish what that culture is going to be. They've been slaves and now they're a nation. And he said, this is what's going to happen. In reality, some things are going to develop as you develop as a nation and here's one of them. He said, if there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns and land which the Lord is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. But it says, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. 
Now, you don't think that takes faith? Somebody that you know in your tribe or your family, and they need something, and you've given before, perhaps. And yet here the Bible says, if they're in need, you provide for that need. I'll get to this in a minute. This should challenge our thinking tonight. And uh, he said, you know, in the seventh year, that's when all debts are forgiven and land gives back, you know, is given back and whatever else. He said, and you may think, aha, uh, I don't have to help this guy anymore. This is the seventh year. Uh, you know, enough's enough. I don't, have to, I don't have to care for my brother anymore. Uh, he said, you shall, no, he said, no, you don't do that. Don't be hostile in your mind. He said, you shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. For because this thing, the Lord your God, for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying you shall freely open your hand to the brother, uh, to, uh, to your brother, to your needy and the poor in your land. Now, I didn't have to read two seconds of that. And somebody said, what about if somebody takes advantage of me? What about if you had so much uh, resource from God that nobody ever could take advantage of you. That's what he's saying here. You remember what he says in Luke chapter 6? You give and it'll be given unto you. Your basket will be full. You'll shake it. You'll press it down and it'll overflow. That takes faith to believe that if I do what God says in anything, if I do what God said, well, now preacher, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't throw your pearls before a swine. That's right. And the next time you see a pig, don't take your pearls off and throw them before the swine. That'll be great. You will be as literal as anybody can be. No, we do use judgment. But you know what God is saying? You will always have the needy and the poor around you. And I will take care of them through you. And it'll be a test of your faith in me to see if I can help their needs. Faith is very, very risky. It takes faith to witness. One of the greatest tests of, your, of, of our faith is to engage the gospel with anybody. These gospel engagements we're talking about will raise our church to a new level. A church to a le our church to a level it hasn't been in in many, many years, if ever. Because it takes faith to say, I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to encourage this person. I'm going to engage this person. I'm going to witness to this person. The Lord said, go into the world and make disciples, Period. It takes faith to obey the Lord. Everything in the church that we do, fellowship, Bible study, you know, eating together, praying together, doing ministry together, all that stuff is easy until you come to evangelism and everybody kind of clenches up a little bit. Why? Because it's the most important thing that we do and it takes the greatest amount of faith. Faith is, is something that moves out beyond the, the comfort level to obedience and it brings fruit. And God says, if you will go because I have sent, then I will provide the harvest. I just need you to go. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth labors into the harvest. It's the Lord's harvest. He'll take care of the harvesting if we'll go. It takes faith to give. Not many people have faith to tithe, to be honest with you. Not many people have faith really to give. It takes faith to reach in your pocket and to give somebody something or, or, or to put something that God requires in an offering plate and believe that you hadn't lost anything instead of understanding that you're going to be gaining something. 
the test of faith every Sunday morning at the end of our service or the middle of our service comes when that offering plate is passed. It takes faith to believe that God's going to provide for my needs. But the Bible says if you'll take the seed of giving that he has and you'll give, you'll have more seed to give. You'll have plenty for your own needs. More than enough. It takes faith to give. It takes faith to go. It takes faith to go on a mission trip. Well, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't, you know, I'm scared. And, uh, there's a war somewhere in China, and, you know, I'm going to Europe, but I know somebody's going to shoot somebody somewhere. It takes faith to do that. It takes faith to go. Leave your home, to expend the money, to take the time, to get out of yourself and go serve somebody. It takes faith. Because you can easily go anywhere. You can go to Africa tomorrow night and walk up and down those uh, red dusty roads in Kenya and lead people to the Lord and watch the way they live and get on a plane and take a breath and say, I'm glad I'm going back to America and I don't think we did anything here. God says go. He doesn't say for you and I to go and determine the outcomes and determine the, the value of that and determine whatever. He just says you go. Just go. It takes faith to serve. You often hear people say, well, I get more out of service than I do. I mean, I get more out of serving people than, I, than they get out of it when I, when I serve. But it takes faith to serve somebody. Because we can say, well, I don't have time. I don't have the gifts. You know, I can't teach. I mean, I don't have to teach anything. I, 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 I can't do that. I can't take time out of my busy life and go down here and serve somebody. It takes faith to serve, believing that that's what God wants to do. If we get zero out of it, that God is honored. It takes faith to believe that and to obey that. And yet we see Jesus washing the feet of Jesus. You ever thought about that? The night that he was betrayed, he's washing the betrayer's feet. He's washing the feet of the denier. He's getting nothing out of this. What did Jesus get out of all of that? Zero. He died on the cross. That's what he got out of it. He got to be dead serving us. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. It takes faith to serve. It takes a faith to risk things. Starting churches or supporting ministries or encouraging people in their walk. It takes faith to take that risk. To go along beside people who are upside down in this world. Who've made poor choices and bad decisions. It takes faith to sit down with people with needle tracks up their arms and alcoholic folks and folks in jail. And, and think anything is ever going to happen out of that. God says go. It takes faith to do that. Give a tract or whatever. It takes faith. That's a work that originates and generates out of faith. It takes faith just to treat some people with kindness. And yet Jesus said you need to pray for your enemies and do good to them that, that, that use you and despise you. That just takes a lot more faith sometimes than I have. It takes faith to give our time because we don't want to waste our time. Well, let me tell you something about your time and my time. It's not our time. It's appointed for a man once to die, and after that judgment, the one who keeps time, it's his time. It's not yours. It's not mine. We can redeem the time that he has given us, not knowing it's ending, but it takes faith to believe that if I spend my time when I could do any other thing, 
that in my view is profitable and it would be better, but I'd be better off for it. Well, you might be better off for it, but God's mission goes begging. It takes faith to give time. It takes faith to gather and collect resources. In that great gospel of Luke, I've always marveled at some of the things that Jesus said in that great passage. He talks about loving people and doing good and going the second mile and giving your coat and all these kind of things and doing unto others and having mercy. He said, I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Well, I'd rather just take revenge. I'd rather just be angry. I'd rather be bitter than to bless anybody who's ever done me harm. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Takes away your coat, don't withhold your shirt. That's what he wants. If that's all he wants, give it all to him. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. Well, that just sounds like we're doormats. Well, this is this Jesus talking, right? So unless I know more than Jesus, I at least have to deal with this. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from you expect to receive, what credit is that? He says, love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You believe that? That's where your faith is. Do you do that? Seriously? You'll be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful as your Father is just. And that's when he says, give and it will be given back to you. They'll pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for by your standard of measure to be measured to you. What's the underlying principle here in faith? When you're talking about serving or giving or going, you're talking about always having poor people or folks walking up to you and wanting a dollar, and you're trying to protect something that's not yours anyway. I've got some money in my pocket, but it's not mine. God makes that perfectly clear. I've got some time on my watch, and hopefully tomorrow I'll have some time, but that's not my time. I've got heartbeats going on, some gifts that God's given me, but they're God's gifts. Why has God given any of us a gift? I said this to our folks at the gathering the other day. Imagine you had a gift. Imagine it was somebody's birthday. Let's just imagine it's Ann's birthday coming up, and I go to the store and I buy a present that I really want and like to have, and I come and I say, look, happy birthday. Here's the gift that I want for me. Well, that's stupid. You don't do that. No, a gift is for somebody else. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Here's what God is saying. I want you to put your life so much into my hands that even if it seems ridiculous, I want you to trust me to give you back more than you will ever lose. If somebody humiliates you, I'll give you more glory than you lost in humiliation. If somebody takes advantage of you, I'll return more than what you lost when they take, took advantage of you. That, that's what this is. That's what James is really trying to get to. It's not just, just kind of obedience because I'm afraid of the Lord and I want to show everybody I have faith. No, it's more than that. I want you to give and I'm going to give you more than you've ever given before. You're going to experience something with me when you trust and obey me that can only be described as supernatural, wonderful, awesome, marvelous grace. I want you to trust me enough to let me set you down in the middle of a rough, cruel, turned-upside-down world 
and you trust me to protect you and provide for you and use you to do what I would have you to accomplish. There's going to be poor people. I'm going to test you. There's going to be mean people, and I'm going to test you. There's going to be rough circumstances, and I'm going to test you. But if you will trust me and obey me and do what I say, what you'll find is you'll always receive more than you ever lost through your heartache and heartbreak and whatever. I, I determined to do that a number of years ago, many years ago. And, uh, you know, it always aggravates me a little bit to be taken advantage of. It just does. I don't like it. Uh, it, sort of, it sort of makes me angry, if you want to know the truth about it. And I looked at that scripture and said, if anybody asks you to give them something, give it to them. Well, if it's not my money or not my time, and if I really believe God will be honored in that and I'll be blessed by that, then sooner or later i got to reach in my pocket and do it. Somebody asks you to go somewhere or to preach or to teach or to serve or whatever, really consider that. What I typically consider first is my time and my little calendar over here, you know, what I want to do and, you know, whether I want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to do this over here. And God says, that's not faith. Faith isn't coming to God every morning and saying, look, I've got some needs here and I really need you to take care of them. Faith is showing up and saying, I don't have anything except for the breath that you give me. I, I don't have anything except for the resources that you've given me, for the time you give me. I, I really don't have anything. And like we read tonight when Kirk was leading us in reading Romans 12, it, it, it's a sacrifice, it's spiritual, and it's expected. So if we do that and we say, it's, I'm yours, this is yours, all this stuff is yours, you'll be tested because somebody will come along and take advantage of you. The goal in life is never to be taken advantage of. Seriously? Well, what about poor Jesus? What about Joseph? What about David? And Saul ran him off. That, that wasn't fair. What about James, the apostle, and Stephen when they stoned him? That wasn't fair. But when we show up and we say, Lord, as best I understand and as much as I can do, I'm going to give you my life. Here's my life and take it. Use it for whatever reason or means that you have in mind. So here's the question. Are you a man, you're a woman, you're a young person of faith or not? How much can you risk of time and talents, gifts and resources and heart share and mind share? How much can you risk following the Lord? Well, until you get to the point where at least tonight you say all, there may be more tomorrow, but as far as you know, all tonight, then how in the world is God going to use you for good works that he's prepared for us? Those good works include sacrifice and trust and obey and risk. And every step we take with him, we go deeper into his glory, deeper into our relationship with him, and he returns tenfold 
and more to whatever we think we've lost. Now, everybody in this room has been hurt, used, taken advantage of, uh, confronted by people who uh, just want help or whatever, and we can say, well, they ought to go get a job. I'm just saying, how far will you go? How far will we go as a church to trust the Lord so that these works he's prepared before the foundation of the world that you and I and this church could accomplish, how much will we offer ourselves completely to be able to receive all that he has to accomplish those good things. The poor are here for us to take care of. The lost are here for us to witness to. The confusion in the nations are ours to go and tell them that Jesus loves them, that there's a creator God who's made all of these things. All of these things. We don't know how much time we have, but we have tonight and maybe tomorrow. Faith without works is no faith at all because it's dead. But faith at risk and goes and gives and serves is alive and well, gives glory to God, and God gives blessing to those who have it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for this word. It's a reminder to us that we might not be as far along in our path with you as we think. Because every time you ask us to do something in faith and obedience, there's always a reason not to. There's always a reason to run out of time or not to have enough, well, whatever. And Father, we acknowledge that, and it creates fear in our lives and uncertainty. It doesn't seem right to turn the other cheek and go to the second mile and give up a cloak and give to whoever asks and lend without any expectation of return. Father, I'm glad you take care of all those results if we take care of obedience and faith. We trust you tonight, Lord, but we, like the man in Scripture, we need you to help us in our unbelief. It's not the faith that bothers us. It's our unbelief, the risk and the challenge to go further and deeper, to open up our hearts and our lives to the blessings that come through obedience. Help us to do just that. I pray for us tonight in this room that as you've challenged us by your word and through your spirit, that we might rise up out of this place as men and women and people of faith, the people of God who are generous and good and servants and trustworthy and who follow Jesus with a passion and a purpose. And for these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen.